There's a common belief floating around out there. I've believed this. Maybe you've believed this. It's this idea that if I get to a certain level of success, things will get easier. If I have enough resources, if I've got the team, if I've got enough money, then I can just hit cruise control. From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy, and my guest today is Matthew McConaughey. Of course, you guys know him as the Academy Award-winning actor, and now he's a New York Times bestselling author with his new book, Green Lights. The book's a lot of fun. It's about his life. It's about things he's learned. So it's not exactly a business book, and you may be thinking, what's an actor going to teach me, the small business owner? Well, I got to tell you, Matthew McConaughey's a leader. He's a visionary. He's creative. You guys are going to love this. There are so many parallels from his world and what he knows directly into your small business. So buckle up. This is going to be a lot of fun. We had a great conversation. We started out talking about the creative process because a lot of people think there's some kind of magic. There's some kind of mystery. You just show up and creativity happens, but it doesn't. It all starts way before the moment where you put in the reps and you do the hard work. The hard part's the preparation. I'm working to prepare so I can play on the day. Sports, art, yeah, best athletes. It's instinctual on the day because they've done the work beforehand. The great quarterbacks are in the you know final drive. See the defense change after the plays are to be called. They're calling an audible. They're not thinking of. They're instinctually reading it in the context of the present situation. When I go to work as as an actor, when I show up to be on set, it's time to play. I've thrown all my notes and all my preparation that was deliberate and intentional. Um, And I broke a sweat on I've thrown that out. Now it's like, let's rock and roll. Um, Let's keep the instrument loose. I don't want to be tight right now. I want to express. I want to screw up. I want to try and screw up. See if I can. Watch it. It'll be hard to do. Um, I want to... Have the be able to be, be loose enough to take risk and not think about it in the moment. Oh, should I take this risk? Because if you do that, you're a second late. You missed it. So to do so to be working instinctually on the day to look like look the best compliment I can get is after any performance, people go, "Huh, I mean that that's you." And so someone they go, "Great, that's what I've been working on to get right. to this moment for it to look like." Well, I mean. Did you just wake up and roll out of bed and do that? And you're like, sure. So I did. Just woke up and did it. Well, there's a lot of work that goes into making it look like you just wake up and did it. I think that's what people miss on anything that's done with excellence. Uh, they, they see the finished product. They see the highlight reel, and it looks so natural. Uh, you make it look so easy. And what you're talking about is something that psychologists teach us, which is that our gut actually has a brain, and, and you have to right. condition and train that gut to actually be a gut. Your, your instincts don't just show up in the moment. It's, it's almost like right. you've been putting in reps, like you're, like you're going to the gym ahead of time. Well, and you go, if you're going to learn something, you know, it's Trust me, before I started taking acting lessons, which was later in my career, the first two years of taking acting lessons, of actually becoming conscious of what the heck I was doing, that I had I'd already had instincts for, it was an awkward couple of years. I'm now, if you have an instinct for doing something and all of a sudden you go to now, well, I want to go learn my craft. All of a sudden you're having to think about it and contextualize it and see, you know, what works, what does. You're learning what it is, how the damn engine runs. And that's, 
it's little pieces. And so it feels like little pieces. So you, you kind of lose your instinct because you're learning something. You're going through an intellectual process. But if you do it long enough through repetition and studying the right way and working the right way, all of a sudden it starts to sift from your head down through your heart and your gut your loins and your body and down into your heels. And then you're not thinking about it anymore. And what seemed like, oh my gosh, that's ingenious uh, um, uh, new information that I never knew before soon becomes instinctual. And you look at it and you go, oh, well, of course I know that. I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have to study that. That's obvious. So, you know, it's, it's again, like athletics, um, you get a new defensive coordinator on a, to come in for it. He's got a, got a complicated defense. He wants to reprogram all his defensive players to play on a football team. That first year, that team's probably going to get smoked because those kids are out there thinking about what they need to do. But give them a year, now they've gone through the reps. It's instinctual. They're going to be pretty damn good if it's a good defense coordinator the next year because they're not thinking. And if you got to think on that defense, you're a half a step late and that wideouts run past you and got, you know, going to score on you. But if you don't have to think, you're using your instincts and you're on your you're on your uh, um, on your toes a little bit more. So, yeah, it's the it's the preparation before. Yeah, I, I think that shows up a lot in business, especially business owners. You can't really win in business big without being visionary. You've got to have a vision. You got to tell people this is where we're going. It's what success looks like. And I don't think you have vision without being creative. Yet you'll talk to business owners like I'm not really creative, but it it seems like you have. And, and what you're saying is. Creativity is a process. There is a formula of putting in reps that don't feel very sexy to end up into what some people would say is just magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Look, all self-expression is not art, but all art is self-expression. I mean, it's not about, you know, in the creative world, well, if I'm just brutally honest it's art. No, it's not. That's like saying a 13-year-old's diary is as good as Shakespeare. No, <laughs> you may have been being completely honest. That doesn't mean it's art, you know? Um, so how do you make it an art? Now, as far as visions go, um, you know, one is, it's a tough question to answer sometimes. Where is it I want to go? How far out in front of me into my future can I project? If I'm a, if I'm, I'm a small business owner and I want to have my team meeting. Where are we going? What's our mission statement? How far ahead can I do? I think about what we want to do for the end of the year. Do I think about five years from now, ten years from now? Uh, the, the, the our eulogy. Um, are we? Is this something we're going to build that we're going to? I want to hand off to my children to keep running this business and grow this business or whatever. Um, I think that the creativity you have to give yourself more than one lane to get there. Meaning, choose your direction your North Star, where you want to go. But then give yourself 16 lanes to swerve in to get there. Meaning if you're going to say we're heading east, we're heading west, we're heading north, we're heading south. Get on that, make, create an autobahn with 16 lanes heading that direction. Awesome. Get off on the feeder. Take an exit. Do anything you want to do. Just don't do a 180 and head the other way. <laughs> right. But Four swerve yeah. all over, you know, but we can sometimes get locked into – this is exactly it has to be. I have to stay exactly this lane. Don't swerve at all. This will get us there. It's hard to be creative in that lane. And then other times we give ourselves no, not, no, no, no boundaries at all. So we have no structure and we get lost and we were heading in a direction and the company looks up two years later and goes, what have we become? We, we don't even, our value system, what, what I want us to be, this is not who we are as a company. And it's probably why we're not succeeding because you don't stick to that plan and maintain that same general direction 
you're supposed to go. We're talking about vision and creative creativity. I'm curious how it works on set where you've got, I mean, you have a vision for the film and, and there's a script, but I imagine different directors have varying degrees of, of real-time creativity in the moment. And certainly yeah. as actors, I mean, you, yeah. you do that, you riff and, and you ad-lib stuff. Uh, you talked about that in your book at times you've done it. Is it is it the kind of thing that over time you just get more comfortable with being creative on the fly? The the, the earlier um, you are in the process, the more rigid it is and trying to stick to the script and just do it the way that it's written? No, I mean, it's not. No, I think it is the most competent directors I work with never say the word no. Hmm. They will still redirect me or another actor to give them what they want, but you want your actor to own it. You want every actor to feel like that that they own their character. You, the not, it's not mine. Director, you, you, I hired you for a reason. You stole it from me. It's yours. You're the sole proprietor. Take me. That's why I hired you. Take me. What do you want to do? What's true to you? Go. Now, then you can, as a director, you can play a little verbal ping pong and go, yeah, what if they did so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so? And actors like most creators, like most people, we don't like to be told what to do. I tell directors all the time, if I like, if I like them, which I usually do, I said, look, I'm easy to work with. Just don't tell me what to do. Mm. And if you don't tell me what to do and you listen to my ideas and go, uh-huh, 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 I'm going to be real open to listen to yours. And it's not about... You know, earlier in my career, I probably did think, oh, it's about how many, how many can I get more, more of the best ideas in a row? Mm. Well, in the creative process, when you're working together well, it don't matter who's got most in a row. Whoever's got the hot end. If I've got, if I had the best 20, 22 of the best ideas in the last week, a good director is wanting me, passing me the ball. You have to have the 23rd. If the director has 25 better ideas than I than I have in a row, I'm hoping he he's hot. Give me the 26. Right. Keep going. See if you can get over 100. I'm following. We're 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 on fire here. So it's not about adding up. It's not a competition in that way, which is different. Uh, the great thing about the creative arts is it's not a competition in that way. Um, yeah, the best directors, you know, some look Cohen Brothers, great directors, and as I've never worked with them, I understand they write a script and they want it to be that word for word. They put together some very good movies, good stories. Um, I personally enjoy working with directors that will be open to a riff. Now, my riff, my improv, is not me making something up. It's coming from the text that they gave me. Right, there's a home base. So, again, it's in that lane. It's in that general direction. I'm just picking another lane in the direction that the director wants to take the film. Yeah, but I think there's there's so many parallels in business. I mean, you, you got a team member who, yes, you have a job description. You've got things you're responsible for. But how you do that job, if you're a good director, you're not going to say no. You're going to steer and guide the energy. And I, and I love the idea of the best idea wins. I mean, sometimes the org chart gets in the way. Sometimes the, sure. the hierarchy gets in the way in, in a business. And I, I think it's a really key leadership lesson to say, hey, look, let's let's slide that to the side and make sure that the creativity – and, and the autonomy that each player has on how to do their role can actually surface up and that we're cheering for right. them and, and we're not putting right. this top-down template on their creativity. Well, I'd say another thing, though, is not everybody's a creative. And that's okay because some people, maybe it's an accountant, they're really, that's what they're really good at. Man, punch the numbers. It's math. 
It's science. Add it up. That's your zone. You're great at it. Well, sometimes we say, yeah, but the creative gets the freedom. That's what I want to do. Oh, let me tell you, man, there's 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 some hardships that come with going and saying, I, I, I want to be more than just a pragmatician. Um, so I think it takes both. Sometimes you just need, hey, I'm a great worker bee and I love doing this and I'm good at it. And now this is my this is my lane. And I I need to do what I do. Well, I don't need to be creative. <laughs> I don't need to be the one with the bright idea. You know what I mean? I need to just sit here and cab my head down and and, and do what I do well, because that helps somebody else right. who maybe yep. is a creative do it. So I think we have a tendency to say, oh, well, we all want to be creative. We're all creative. We're all artists. Well, that's an, that's an argument. You need. No, you I need, agree. I don't. Uh, I, I think there are bents towards uh, creativity, and you certainly don't want your accountant being creative. Like, please don't reinvent this. There's a way that it's done. No new bright ideas, please. Yet I would yeah. say each business needs to have it needs to have creativity represented in that business to to move forward, sure. to have a vision, to be creating and producing new things. So, what would you say to that business owner who goes, "I'm not creative, yet I have a responsibility to." to steward creativity or to bring creativity into our organization so that that's not just a function of my lack of creativity as the owner. Right. And there are business owners that are like that, that are like, look, I'm the CEO. I'm not, please, I'm hiring you to come help me write the story. Let me tell you what I, what what I, what I want to do. Let me tell you who I'm not, who, who, who are not. And that'll lead to who we are and help me create my story. Cause we're all writing a story. Every business is writing a story. Every individual is writing a story. We're all writing a story. Every creative, there is a, is a story. So what's the story we're going to tell? Um, is that person, does the CEO, does the owner hire a visionary? And then should, should that visionary actually be the chairman? Not necessarily. Maybe they're just the, the griot. Maybe they're just the storyteller. Maybe they're the one that says, I'm actually, by listening to you, can tell your story better than you can tell it because you're the subject. And I have an objective view and I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm hearing who you are and where you want to go. So let me write this story because that's maybe my talent. That doesn't mean that that CEO should be like, oh, my gosh, but they wrote the story. I don't have ownership of mm-hmm. this anymore. Maybe I, no, 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 no. Doesn't mean that it's two different, two different lanes. Um, again, I would go back. I mean, it's always a good process to do that projection to try and go, how far forward can we go? If I'm going to look back at my company five years from now, 10 years from now, what is it I want? And what is my definition of success for this company? Is it more money? Is it a B Corp? Is it, is it the happiest workforce that really loves coming to work? Is it that I just want to make enough to pay my bills and look forward to coming to work on Monday morning? Maybe that's it. But define what that is. And that'll help start to say, what you define your values, you start to tell the yeah. story. It's almost like you can't you can't start telling the story until you have the purpose clearly defined. You have to have some sense of this is the why. Right. Before yes. Before we get into here's here's the narrative that goes with that. Sure. And even I'll, that's what I mean when I write in the book about conservative very liberal late. Define the why. Give yourself that'll look that that'll give you the boundaries to your freedom. Um, that's not gonna that's not gonna hamper you. It's gonna keep you from it's gonna make you help you work right and work smartly instead of spending time, which I have to watch for myself even to this day. I want to take too many things on all of a sudden look and I'm going, man, I got a bunch of campfires going, but I don't have where's Valhalla? You know, I'm 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 throwing a little sticks in each one. I didn't want to throw some some wood on, I'm gonna throw some logs on a fewer fires rather than have 
too many little bitty campfires. That, that, what that is, camp- I'm curious, what are your filters when you look up and you go, I've got too many fires? What do you come back to to, to sort out how you're going to focus and kind of reprioritize? Um, well, it's different now. It's changing now. I'm customizing it more now, which I suppose comes with age and success. Um, and I'm making trying to make legacy choices now, meaning, well, if I get involved with that, is that something that I'm put my time into that, not only do I want to be alive and hopefully it's grown by the time I die, but is it something that I will have handed off the baton to my children or somebody else to actually keep it alive after I'm gone? Um, so I'm trying to make longer term choices for what I get involved in. Um, sure, I st- I'm doing less one-offs now. Now, sure, I'll go do a one-off if it's going to go, boy, that's really good pay and I could invest that money in this minister culture value system. I want to campaign. Yep. I'll, I'll do that. Cause it doesn't take up too much of my time, but I want to do things that I'm going, as I said earlier, I don't want to, I don't want things on my desk that I don't look forward to getting into on Monday morning. Mm. I had this happen to me 15 years ago when I had, I was an actor. I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a production company. I had five people on my staff. I had a music label. I had two artists I was producing. And I'm at my desk, phone rings, number comes up. I see it's the number from my office, my production company, my office where I'm paying the rent and five people's salary. And I went to pick up the phone and I saw the number and my hand paused mid-reach. And I remember going, actually looking at my hand going, what'd you just do? Why'd you, why'd you? And I went, you don't want to pick up the phone call from your office that you're paying the salaries that you're paying the rent. I didn't mm. answer the phone. I waited until it quit ringing. I called my lawyer, picked up the phone, called my lawyer, said, I'm shutting the production company. I'm shutting the music label. I got six things on my desk. And I feel like I'm making C pluses and all of them. I want to get rid of two, have four, so I can make A's and four instead of C's and three, season six. So I cleared that desk. And I still have to watch that today. As all of a sudden, I'll have 12 things on the desk. and go, Okay, which one of these are long-term things that I'm going to continue to work on that I look right, forward to? Right. Which so I need to handle that. Okay, that's enough. That's a one-off. I'm done. Don't you think that's part of the curse of, I, I'm also creative. I, it's my sandbox is more in the entrepreneur business right. space of ideas that we're going to launch this and sell that. But I have so many freaking ideas and I, and I overwhelm my team and we're going to go this direction. And, and so I, I have the, the bent of creative vision and everybody's like, you're awesome at vision. You're awesome at creative. But then I also overwhelm myself and everybody else with just all the distractions. I mean, I, I feel Absolutely. like that's the double-edged sword, right? That is part of the double-edged sword of what I was saying earlier about. If you are a practitioner, <laughs> be, be, there's assets to that. Mm. There's some headaches that come with being, seeing art in everything, seeing a possible angle in everything. Oh, but maybe this could, uh, all of a sudden you could find yourself in the damn weeds, man, needing more than 24 hours a day and they're not giving them. So, yeah, it, it is. It's part. It's part of the blessing and the curse. It's. I got that line in the book. What is it? Um, man, uh, um, what is it? Obsessed with ideas need to be starved. Man, obsessed with truths need to be fed. Hmm. You know, where idea, idea people got an idea, got an idea, got an idea. I mean, I try and usually wait and see something that I'll wake up at two in the morning going, "This is a home run." I'm following through on this. I usually let it. Keep it on my desk, look at it each day and just see 
if over the next two weeks, have I added on to that naturally, instinctually, if I started to build that, or am I just still looking at that and going, yeah, I'm not sure what that is, but I'll just kind of keep going. And if, I, if it takes a couple of weeks and I'm just still kind of looking, I go, I'm not sure what that is. I'll go, okay, well, it didn't yeah. pass the test. I'm it's taking like a barnacle that that's just kind of been latched on. It's yeah. just hanging around. And yeah. It may be good on its own, but let's, let's go log that because I don't know how to utilize that in the, in the, in the, in the funnel of the vision of where I'm going that I'm going to look forward to it. I don't know how to make it useful, applicable. You talk about logging that. I am fascinated by how disciplined you've been through the years to journal and, and actually keep notes and keep up with things. I mean, so much of what is in the book is you going back through your journals. A lot of people don't do that. I, I struggle with it. I've got hot streaks and then I've got times I just, it's, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. But I find that when I do, it's really powerful. Um, yeah. when, when did you link up? This is something I'm going to do no matter what. Um, well, I, tr- I started off doing it because I, thought it was a good thing to do. And I was trying to get to know myself better. Hmm. And I was tired of having a great, having something that I thought would be a great idea, not writing it down, thinking I'm going to remember it and I'll write it down when I get home and then getting home and going, damn it, I forgot that. So I started writing things down. And now it, it, it then it's become just, it become a, it's become a habit of mine. I mean, I write, I have to tell people all the time, I'm at dinner, we're hanging out and I pick up my phone. I start writing. I let them know. I guess I'm not, I'm actually writing myself. It's based on this conversation. I'm not mm-hmm. writing something that's not here right now. I'm not being rude. And then I'll write something down so I can, because I'll hear something. Say if we had a, in this conversation, if you said something to me and I said, I'm writing it down. And I say, look, I'm writing down this line. And then I show it to you and go, is that what you said? And if you go, yeah, this is what I said. And then I'll go, uh-huh. okay, then I'm going to write your name to it. And if I, I'm going to use this, I'll footnote you. If you're cool with that, because I want to take that idea and tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to unpack that. And then I'm going to say, let me take that approach, that POV into life and see what kind of response I get. See what kind of Mm. feedback I get from it. Um, So I'm constantly I don't necessarily say, Matthew, 2 to 3 p.m., go write in your journal. No, I'm not a guy who's like. I'll go think about it. So it's no. just on the fly, like whatever's it's coming to you. Special twenty-four-seven. Jot it down, and then about once a month, go back and look through the the ninety entries that I had over the last thirty days, and see what kind of categories did they fall into. Do I have central themes coming out? Have I been listening and getting turned on by something somebody said or something somebody did that have that are that are connected that have central themes? And usually there are. Which was the process of writing the book. It was 36 years of diaries. The, 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 uh, the general categories that came out of that were a big stack of stories, a big stack of people, places, prescribes, poems, prayers, and bumper stickers. And then from those stacks, I said, well, let me see if there's a central lineage in these, which became green lines. So, you know, I'll, you know, and the next, I'm already, I'm working on what the next book will be. And I'll look over the last two years mm. of, of notes to see, <laughs> Is it crystallizations of things that I introduced in green lights? Is it something completely different? Um, I don't know if I'll find out when I take the time to go look at it. The book's fantastic. I listened to it on Audible, which I loved because you narrate and you get into the story, especially when you're in Australia and you're doing the Australian accents. It's fantastic. I can think of one other book where I've been listening and I'm walking along and I'm by myself and I laugh out loud. Like you usually don't laugh out loud when you're by yourself, but this one, man, I mean, just... The hooks and the stories and 
the dead bird that your dad resuscitated. Yeah. I, thought, I mean, I thought I was going to fall over walking through my neighborhood <laughs> listening to that story. It's just outrageous. Thank you. Thank um, you. But I found the book, I mean, you've got all these anecdotes. You mentioned bumper stickers and principles, and it, it was really fun to get to know Matthew McConaughey, the person, not the person who's playing a role in a movie. And, right. and I think it's, it's rare to have that coming from Hollywood because we're all used to seeing actors, oh, I love this actor. No, you really love the version of, of what they played in that role. Right. You probably don't really know them. Do you feel like you got to expose who you are to America Absolutely. through this book? Because that's Absolutely. And that was one of the great joys of it. And now I, it, that's part of what's given me great courage and freedom right now. I, I laid it out there and I'm looking at all of it with the, with the, with an optimistic smile, even the stuff that you're like, Oh my God, you know, or, Oh, you poor baby. And I've had people come up, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't apologize. No, don't apologize. That was not a horror story on paper. The, the facts of what I told you may have been a horror story, but did you see what I got from it? And yeah. I didn't, <laughs> delusionally optimistically try and make lemonade out of lemons. I actually, this happened. Mm. There was fortune that came out of this foible, so to speak. So I'm got to lay it out there. I've now, we all have a gap between who we are, what we show people who we are and what, how people receive who we are. Um, I've just write the book. I got to close those gaps. What has been the most, to, unexpected reaction since writing the book? Um, it's been quite a few. One, one good friend of mine said, man, I love the book and I especially love what it's not. I mean, what do you mean? They go, it, there, it's absolutely not a tell all at all. I mean, it's not, I'm not telling any stories out of, out of, out of, out of class, out of school. Um, nor did I intend to, nor, nor what I, people that know me well knew I, I would, that wasn't what I would do. So if you're going to it for a Hollywood book to find out what's going on behind bedroom doors. Yeah, it's not, not gossip. It's not. Nah, really, that. it's your story. It's your life. So, you know, I think the, the, the greatest thing, the most pleasurable thing for me is that, and I had this hunch, this was my hope in writing it. Because in writing, I started to realize, I think, you know what, the more personal you're getting, McConaughey, the more translatable it'll be to more amount of people. And to have to be able to talk about this book now for the thousandth time, every conversation is specifically different to the person who in some way the book translated to them subjectively. Mm. So I, I could, I'll do this for as long as somebody wants to talk about it because <laughs> it's a different conversation. It may be about the similar, the same subjects have been brought up hundreds of times, but they meant different specific things to the person I'm talking to yeah. in their own lives mm -hmm. every time. And so that's a kept lot. it well, alive and fresh and fun. It's been a blast to read. It's been a blast to talk with friends and colleagues who are also reading it. I, I think one of the biggest things I've heard is just the mad respect for a guy who many of your contemporaries right now in the year of COVID have just kind of been on the beach. And everybody understands that because right. Hollywood's been shut down. You didn't use this as the year to just take this big, long, I'm going to take a year off. I mean, you said, okay, I still got something to produce. My normal format, the normal medium I use of film, that's not an option. Let's let's go put a book out there. And it's almost unheard. And there's plenty of actors that have put out books with a ghost writer. It's a memoir that's kind of your classic. This is really your art. And, and I think that's pretty distinct. Well, you know, I got, I got a, a great blessing came my way early on. I did not have the courage, one, to go – write a book even with the ghost writer for 15 years 
even though I dared myself daily, never had the courage to do it. And then once I did, I did have a ghostwriter. I met with him one time. Really? Yep. And he worked for the New York Times. The New York Times came up with a policy that said they can't have any of the writers work, working on any kind of celebrity memoir. He got pulled from the project. As I opened my mouth after I got that news to my wife to say, yeah, so I think I need to find another go. I stopped. And she didn't say a word and looked at me and I went, I know. I got to go write it. It hit me right there. I was like, ah, that's what wow. this gift was. It's, 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 it's on you, Matthew. Go away. And then she said, like, yeah, pack it up. Get out of here and don't come back till you got something. And so I went away and it was getting a highly intimidating idea. One, I'm not nostalgic. I'm not one for looking back. Um, and now I'm going to go back and go off into solitary confinement with 36 years of writings about my 50 years in this life. And I'm stuck with who? Hmm. Me and me only in my last 50 years. Oh, I said, you know, this yeah. is going to be embarrassing. Yes, it was. This is going to, I'm going to have some shame. Yes, I did. I'm going to feel guilty. Sure. I'm going to have times where I was like, going to be just cringeworthy at how arrogant I may have been. Huh. And all those things happen. At the same time, so many of the things I thought I'd be embarrassed about, I laughed at. So many things I thought I'd be ashamed about, I ended up saying, oh, well, you've already turned the page on that or forgiven yourself. And then even the things where I was like, you weren't arrogant. SOB at that time in your life, a little Mr. Know-it-all. But out of that, I noticed in the chronology of the story, immediately after those, soon after those times where I was very arrogant in my journals about having things figured out and, you know, condescending other people and things. Soon after those times, I'd get humiliated. And I realized that if I wouldn't have been the arrogant little prick, I wouldn't have had the confidence to put myself in the position to get humiliated. Mm. It's funny how in hindsight you can see the links between what yeah. otherwise might feel like an isolated experience. Well, when you look back, it's all a science, yeah. you know, connect all the dots where at the time you're like, I have no idea why this fortune or, or, or disruption came into my life. But boy, when you start connecting them, if you, 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 it all, it all adds up. But it sounds like the book writing process for you was really cathartic, therapeutic in a way. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, do you feel like you I got mean, some stuff out that was dormant or, or that had been bottled up? No, I didn't feel like I got it out because I, I've, I'm a, I've told these stories. I see. Around campfires, at dinner tables. I've done the spoken word. I've performed them. My family knows them. Um, I didn't feel like, oh, I got to get it off my chest mm-hmm. that this happened to me. I didn't feel like, oh, uh, I, 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 it's, it's time I let the world know this so I can <sighs> – catch my breath. I didn't, I didn't ever feel like that, but I think just coming to reality with, and having a look in the eye, I was, I didn't know I've taken as many, I was surprised. I laughed my ass off right. And it's going, damn, you have taken some wild ass risks that you didn't even, I didn't even think I'd taken that many risks. I'm like, you've done some pretty wild stuff. (laughs) You really have tried to pull off some things and pulled off a lot of things that, yeah. Hmm. Damn. I don't know if I'd have pulled, you know, so even some things I go, oh, you pulled some things off in your younger years, but I'm glad you didn't know what you know now because you wouldn't have tried to pull that off yeah. at certain times, you know? And then there's certain times where I'm like, whoo, you got lucky on that one, man. You know, I've, I've woken up with many a nightmare going like, ah, oh, from something I got away with in a, in a, in a, in a story in the book that I'm like, 
oh yeah, you, you, you survived that one. You actually came out of that one. Damn, I wouldn't do that again if I was back there, you know? It so. strikes me that you've, you've figured out a way to stay hungry. I understand being hungry before right. you've made it or even the early stages of making it because you're making money and you're growing and your, your name's getting out there. Um, I have a lot more respect for somebody that can outlast the one hit wonder syndrome and, and is really right. still going. Right. How hard is it to stay hungry and, and put something out like this? I mean, this took a lot of work. You had to curate a lot of things. I know you said you've already told all the stories, but I mean, there's, there's a bunch of resistance, even in a process like this. At your stage, you didn't have to write the book, but you doubled well, I down. Did me. I mean, I, I did, it, was, it was a dare to myself mm. and saying, hey, quit talking about it. Quit, quit, take, quit copping out saying like, yeah, you'll die and maybe Camilla will look through there and see if there's something worthy of sharing. I was like, what is that martyrdom crap? What are you doing, man? Um, I don't know if something's in there worth sharing or not, but let's go find out. Um, Look, the staying hungry part, it can be hard, but I very quickly complace. I have a pretty short threshold for complacency getting comfortable with me because I, 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 I immediately tell myself, who, you, who do you think you are <laughs> getting complacent? That's an arrogant idea to think about this. We're not even, humans aren't even tapping, just tapping into the 11%. What do we, you know, you, I like to use this analogy, you know, yeah, you, you think, you know, the old Icarus flying too close to the sun, the wax is going to melt on my wings. Who do you think you are thinking it's getting hot? You ain't even close, boy. Right. Tell myself that, you know I mean? It, it's, it's, it's still 50 degrees. Your, your wings ain't close to melt. You ain't that close to the sun. I mean, and the idea that I just don't, I, yeah, I've achieved some things, but they're all, I've never felt like ta-da. Mm. And anytime I did feel like ta-da are those times where I was handing you the arrogant one who got humiliated mm. soon. Um, so I'm going, you know, I talk about it in the book, Roof's a Man-Made Thing. I'm like, who the hell are I thinking to, 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 to get complacent? Now, does that mean me now at 51, I need to find a bunch of new things to do? No, a lot of my complacency needs to be gone because I've built things, family, a career that I'm like, it's not about new things. It's about spreading these roots wider and deeper. Mm. It's about keeping, t- maintaining the investments that, that I have while still being open to things that, as we talked about earlier, that are funneled into the same general direction where I'm going. Yeah. I don't, I'm not ready to, I've built enough now and I've got enough to take care of in 24 hours a day where I'm not looking for an aberration of a thing to do. Now, Writing a book, you could say, well, that's an aberration from your from your acting life. Well, if anything, it's actually it's got more selfish. No, I mean, just I, said, I see how it's it's putting those roots deeper. I mean, it, and you've talked before in this conversation about the idea of a, a story for your life and and this idea of legacy. It, it seems like legacy is one of those filters for okay at midlife. The things I'm going to do going forward are going to be significantly shaped by what I want my legacy to be. I mean, I, I think that's a that's a natural way to look at it at, at the stage that we're at yeah. in, in kind of midlife. I mean, I think so. I don't, I, I just started, you know, that idea about considering what your eulogy is going to be and what, how we're going to be introduced when we're gone is only something that I started thinking about a couple of years ago. Um, I was probably like a lot of people are. They think thinking about, and I don't know why, but we think about death as this morose thing that, well, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to think about that. Knock on wood. Like and I'm always happen. like, 
Like, what do you mean? It's the one thing we can guarantee. And actually, to sit in that spot doesn't make you contract in life. It doesn't make you go, oh, my gosh, it's all for nothing. It makes you go, oh, here we go. It's all for everything. Let's get it on. Here's a math refresher. There are only 24 hours in a day, so you and your team need to streamline time-consuming tasks to focus on the activities that make money. Smart businesses are realizing that to reduce headaches as they scale, they need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs because it's cloud-based. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one source of truth. It's a big deal. And you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, saving time and cutting manual tasks and errors. So join the more than 37,000 smart companies like Ramsey Solutions that have done the math and are boosting their efficiency with NetSuite. And right now you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to drive the right behaviors for your business absolutely free at NetSuite.com slash Ramsey. That's NetSuite.com slash Ramsey to get your own KPI checklist. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill, and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system, and it's a game-changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. Clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory. You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit trainual.com slash entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash entree with code E-N-T-R-E-1-5. I think my whole life I've heard this idea of legacy and thinking about that. It wasn't until I lost my dad uh, within the last year and that's when it hit me. Like, this really happens. Like, you're really going to be here someday. I'm curious, you talk about losing your dad. How much did that impact your perspective on this stuff and and the way that you live as a result? Well, that happened to me, I think I was 22, 28, 28. So I was 22, I think, around that age. It was early. And as you see, I've made many, I've, I've, I've found many things learned a lot, lost what I learned, had to recalibrate, mm-hmm. screwed up. I didn't have it all figured out after he moved on, but it was a very seminal moment of sobering me up as a young man. And I don't mean sober me up from uh, a drink or something. I mean, just sober up how I looked at the world, uh, taking courage to say, hey, okay, your dad just moved on. You no longer have that crutch to rely on that has your back, that's bigger and stronger than government or law. That's gone, man. That's gone, Matthew. You, you, 
Don't look over your shoulder. That safety net's not there. All these things you've been talking about. Yeah, I'm going to do that one day. Let's go. Look, look at square in the eye. Go try out. Go fail more. What do you mean? What would you not risk it for? You see, you know, you lose your father. I bet this year you probably take, there are things you probably had a little, you have less reverence for mortally than you ever did. Sure. I mean, it, it shakes your floor where you're all of a sudden you have courage to walk around because you're like, this is nothing. I just lost my, my father. Right. <laughs> Bring, this is nothing. Bring That's it right. on. Well, you're, where maybe you're feeling about other wrong. people's opinion. I mean, you, you suddenly realize how much you were performing to impress other people or, or to uh, try to match what you perceive as their expectation. And you just don't give a damn anymore because you're going, I, and, and you talk about taking risks and going for it and not asking for permission. I, I want to drill on this because I, I just think it's beautiful, especially small business owners. Um, there's still this temptation, even though you have your own business, to ask permission from society, from your team members, from the marketplace. Uh, I, I think this is a key thing. We got we to gotta really remember, like, it's not our job to be asking permission all the time. Otherwise, we're not entrepreneurs. We're, we're not building something new if we're always asking permission. No. It's, and, and, and if you're asking permission as an entrepreneur, the powers that be know you're bluffing. Hmm. I think – it's that way with parents. I think it's also that way with business in America. You're raised, you're brought up as an American, you're brought up in your family to stick to the rules inside these guidelines. And if you do that, you'll work your way up the ladder and be part of the cog. Okay, that can work. Nothing wrong with that. But what does our parents, what do our parents really want to see? What does America really want to see? They really want to see that young child, that young man, that young daughter, or that young entrepreneur break out of the mold and go, this is what I'm doing. And I'm not asking for your permission. So, but you get one chance at that. And the powers that be, whether it's your parents or whether it's a government, if you're kind of going, I think I want to, as soon as they hear that pause, They'll slam you back right back in, in your guideline. Uh-uh, mm. Didn't mean it. Didn't mean it. Uh-uh. And so while we say stay within the lines, when entrepreneurs really break out, when, when I told my dad I want to go to film school and not law school, he heard me in the tone of my voice saying, I'm not going my, the expected way anymore, dad. And yes, I'm asking you, but you can tell by the tone of my voice, I'm not asking you permission. Mm. He loved it. He's like, yes, that's what I would raise you for. Steve Jobs, entrepreneurs go, I'm going my own way. The government goes, you can't do that. I wasn't asking. And he does it. And you go like, the world goes, bravo. So it's an initiation process that a rite of passage to take encouragement to go, I'm going my own way. Now, that does not count for all tyrants. And anarchists, you can't just say, well, I'm going to go and it's going to harm a bunch of people. No, no, but you're not talking about being, uh, you're not talking about being unethical or hurting people. Uh, but no. I, I think it's like permission for approval and, and per- permission that this is the way the world works. Don't buck the system. I mean, I can relate. I've been with Ramsey for 17 years and I'm at an executive level on the operating board, I'm extremely well compensated. And everybody would go, this guy's successful. And so I, I don't have my own business, but I can relate to the idea of success can get in your way. Golden handcuff syndrome is real. There's times I'm tempted to say something in the boardroom and I second guess and I go, ah, that's not going to be popular. Just settle in. Don't rock the boat. I mean, we all at some level deal with um, the, the not wanting to lose our success. 
sure. and the and the fear of losing our success keeps us from really going for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I I've, I am not comfortable working from a protectionist stance. Um, I like being, but I've, I've tried to create a life for myself where I can be a free agent. I have to, I have to actually try to watch my affiliations because with affiliations come the suppression of those risky ideas a lot of times um, to rock that boat and go, and look, do I measure risk versus reward all the time? You damn right I do. Mm. I'm not going to be foolish with what I've built. I'm not going to give everyone the key to what I've got and come on and go, yeah, I trust y'all to play fair. But that's not going to happen either. Um, cause there are those tyrants out there. Um, but I think there's, look, it's also measuring good fear and bad fear, man. I mean, there's a good fear when you're like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going into the unknown, <laughs> but I really believe in my idea and I think it's scalable and I've, my close friends are, they hear it and they add on to it and they see how we could build this narrative. Well, go, go for that good fear. Now, bad fear, the one you don't want to make a move on is when you go, I think I got a really good idea, but I'm ah, the pedigree of the people I'm working with. I'm, I'm not sure if they're up to speed. They really don't get it. I mean, I, that, 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 I'm not sure if they're committed, uh, but, but I, maybe I'll just jump off and try. No, watch it. Maybe you ought to stop and get your ducks in a row more and be more confident and mm-hmm. secure with what you're going to go marching into the new world order with. Um, so... I'm always trying to measure those. And again, as creative, like you were talking about yourself, I think I can make anything work. <laughs> and, and it's like, whoa, hang on, man. You know, sometimes you just go, no, that's not for me. I don't deem that excellent. No, I disagree with that. That goes against my values. Yeah, but I think I could, you know, pick your fights. Hmm. You know what I mean? So measure the risk course. Because again, we do only have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Last I checked. Yeah. I think you said something key on if you've got an idea and your close friends are kind of breathing life into it. I think it's so vital to have close friends who you know are not going to just tell you, yeah, because you're awesome and successful. I mean, it, I, I imagine you deal with this. The people you work with, you're Matthew McConaughey, and probably a lot of people just say yes, whatever you want, because they they can't imagine challenging somebody with your stature and what you've achieved. Uh, the same thing happens for business owners. Everybody on your team all of a sudden you can get into this emperor has no clothes thing and you're missing out on the best creativity because people aren't being honest. But if you have close friends who are going to be honest with you, you can trust that they're going to slow you down when you need to. You can also trust when they say, hey, go for it in spite of the fact that everybody in the system has lost their mind and they don't see what you see. Say more about how, I mean, I, I know you have close friends. How do you get people yeah. around you that are really just your friends because you're friends and not because you're famous and successful, but they're actually just your posse. This is your people. Well, I discuss things with different people. Um, I try to win arguments. I try to, the best I can, take the alternative side and live and didn't tell myself, now I'm going to play the character that wants to blow this idea and say, this idea is foolish. You have McConaughey. And let me argue. So it's all Socratically, you know, argue with myself on ideas and live as the naysayer of a, of, of a good idea I've got. I don't want it to be 50, 50, meaning like 50% of the time you're saying, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's go for it. 50% of the time we're arguing with you. No, that either means my ideas aren't good enough or I don't have the right people working mm. uh, for me with me. I want it to be 
I don't want to be that much of a democracy. I want to be like, no, I'm real clear on this. Now, your rebuttal of my of my theory and what I'm pushing to me usually means I haven't explained it well enough or I haven't formulated it well enough for you to get it. So that's the pushback that I like in my life. People to go like my wife, every movie I'm going to do, I can be highly passionate, but she doesn't go until I get her to go, ah, I get it. Oh yeah. It's not necessarily, I didn't, it wasn't the argument for not doing it. It's that I wasn't, I wasn't convincing her. But I hadn't really convinced myself. I was still trying to convince myself in telling her. Is it because she's close enough to you that she just she's just not impressed with all the trappings of what goes with being Matthew? I mean, is it is like she actually? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, that's if 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 we wouldn't we wouldn't work as a a relationship. Again, I talk about that. The book be less impressed, more involved. If she had me and my opinions on some uh, unreachable impressionalist pedestal it, we wouldn't we wouldn't probably be together now you know um and she's honored with what i do but she knows me well she knows me well and so i can come in and and lay down the mathematics of why a new endeavor may be something i want to do but she's going to come in from the gut under me and go i know you well yeah. enough i know you can make that work but is that something again that you're going to look forward to every mm-hmm. monday morning for the rest of your life are you going to be honored with that proud of that or you just chasing another wild, another wild idea. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a lot about, and I found this with the writing of the book, work with editors. They'd come back and go, Oh my gosh, this this story doesn't work. And I would find out at first, I was like, well, then you don't get the, you don't get what I'm writing. But what it really meant most of the time, 80% of the time was I didn't write it well enough. Mm. It's so tempting to want to defend what, what is so clear in our mind and, and it's almost like we feel attacked when somebody doesn't get it. And, and there's yep. a tremendous amount of maturity in that moment to go, the fact that you don't get it means that I, I got to level up. I, I got to figure out who, who am I not being or what have I not produced that's causing you to feel confused? How am I not communicating my idea? Yeah. Or have you just exposed a hole? And if I can't write my way out of it, if I can't come up with something concrete enough for you to go, now I go, oh, yeah, I got that. Then maybe it's not an idea worth pursuing um but usually and i excuse me i'm happiest when this is a case is the fact that oh he didn't write it well enough oh you don't have a concrete your idea is not concrete enough you're a, we it's not bulletproof enough you can't answer that question now what i have to watch is you know a lot of my best ideas are coming when i'm in the flow we're flowing man so if you're coming at me and all of a sudden going well wait a minute i'm going why would you interrupt the flow right now we're going on. Be affirmative. I do. I do like when people go with the affirmative mm. longer while I'm generating an idea before they start to question. I'm going, no, not, not yet. Yeah, Cause not it yet. breaks I'm the flow. Talking. I mean, you're in a don't totally different headspace. If you do that. Remember I said earlier, best directors yeah. don't say no. That's you right. know, let's yeah. keep the flow going. Mm. And if you say in the affirmative, how could this work? I want, I like to, and I want to work with people that are going like, I'm trying to see what you're talking about. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 And then let's walk that dog to where we all go. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And now let's sit down and go, now let's shoot holes in it. Now let's see if we can rip it down. If we can tear that castle to the, to, to the floor or does it still hold? Now let's project all of the resistance we're going to face. Now let's look at our competition. Now let's see that someone else has a similar idea that's successful or where it didn't work and what can we learn. So now let's try to shoot holes in it. 
but I need the affirmative for a longer amount of time than I think some people do. I want the affirmative. Do you coach people? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you can't assume everybody's going to get that. That's how you work. And especially if you're a business owner, you've got a team, but it's like, you got to coach people that, Hey, this is how I work best. I'm curious about your process on set or directors. (laughs) And you told that director, Hey, I'm easy to work with. Just don't tell me what to do. But I mean, there, there's a responsibility that's on us a little bit to help people out with, this is what's going to work well for me. You're right. And I know I could do a better job at that because I, like so many of us, you know, you got an idea going over it. It's in your mind, whether you're directly thinking about it, you've been working on it. And then when you go pitch somebody, it's their, you forget it's their first time. Mm. And you just gave them the cliff notes, but you wrote the book. You've been living. And so when they come back, they go, wait a minute, but what happened right there? You're like, what do you, come on, what Uh do you mean? I mean, don't you get it? And, And so I have to watch that as well to go slow down. Remember, this has been in your head and heart for weeks, months, and now you're pitching it for the first time and you expect people to understand it and get on the train and it's not necessarily fair. So I, I do assume that sometimes where I could be better at going. Let me unpack where this started, if you got the time to hear it. Tell you what I formulated, tell you what I've been thinking about and how I got to here. And usually I find that does help quite a bit to just lay the groundwork, let the person kind of get up to speed um, before you lay the the Cliff Notes version on them or the elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, it's really a, a misguided notion that you could pitch something in an elevator. I mean, it, it takes time for somebody. You're, you're talking about building an on-ramp so they can get up to your idea and that whole, like, let me pitch you, and then here's my business card, and they're going to call with a million dollars the next day. Like, that just doesn't happen. No, that doesn't happen. But you can, I do think there's great value in distilling something down to what is your 30-second ad. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Well, get, get going. What's your, what's your ad? I got 30 seconds. Talk to me. Get, hook me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something to salesmanship with, with having an ad, with having that proverbial bumper sticker, with having that flag. And you explain what the pole is and you define what the trunk of the tree is in the elevator. And if you want to get into it more, I'll then go define all the branches, Mm. you know, but I do think, I I mean, I try to do that with films. I do. Can I pitch you a film in 30 seconds? How can I tell the R rated? How can I, how can I explain true detective to my kids? Mm. They're not. They're 10 years old. I can't tell. They can't watch. I can't really tell them. the. Di- so do I make it in a parable form where they go, oh, cool. Can I tell it to my wife differently? Can I tell it to my mom who's 89? Can I tell my pastor in church a way that he loves the story the same way I can tell my friend at 2 a.m. after we've had a bunch of drinks? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a different way of telling to where you go, how's that audience hear it? And goes, oh, well, yeah. And if you can get a yeah, that sounds great. Yes, that sounds cool. From all those different audiences, mm. ages, places, times, tired, drunk, sober. It's almost like you're you're on an island and you have to build a bridge to their continent. Like you got to get to where they are. You, you can't get everybody to come to where you're at. It strikes me that you're pretty strong in sales. I mean, you're persuasive. You're energetic for sure. And I know it happened earlier in your career, but but how often do you pitch and it, and it gets rejected? And then what do you what do you do after that uh, to evaluate the process of the pitch? Um. Well, usually my first reaction is, 
if they say no. My first reaction is, well, they, they don't get it. Glad they didn't say <laughs> yeah, because that would have been a hell working with them because they never got it. <laughs> you know so I mean? true. Um, yeah. and, then, and then after I, you know, come off of that, if I'm if I deem maybe that wasn't correct, I'm back to what I was saying earlier. Oh, maybe I didn't write it right. Maybe I didn't sell it right. I don't lose vigor and vitality and belief in the original idea. But I, if that crosses me as an absolute truth, I know it is. Mm. I may never achieve it. I may not get around to realizing it and creating it and letting it become a tangible thing, but I know there's something there. So that's part of what talk about staying hungry. I'm staying hungry on that hundred ideas of going like, I know there's something there. I'm not giving up on the original idea. I've just still got to figure out, well, how do I realize it? How do I add on to it? How do I pitch it in a way? How do I help find, talk to the right people to go, oh, this person could help with that. This is actually what this could be. This could be a business. This could be a nonprofit. This could be uh, entertainment. This could be educational. This could be inspiring. This could be enlightening. All those things. I don't ever lose belief in the original idea because when that crossed me, I know there's a nugget of truth. There. I know it's true. There are some people who spend their whole life trying to meet a hole in in their psyche or their heart, and they're chasing success, and then they get a trophy, and then they need to get a bigger trophy, and they need to get a bigger trophy, and their entire life, they, they never wake up. Um, right. And I think we all start that way. We all have something that we're trying to build our own empire because there's something that we're compensating for. We're trying to figure out, do we have what it takes? And then there are some people who wake up and they shift to a life of, all right, I'm fine. Now, how do I add value? How do I make a contribution? How do I help other people? It's very clear to me that you've made that shift. Uh, you, you're all about, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. Well, you're doing it. I mean, you're, it's in your book. It's in the vulnerability and, and how you tell your stories. It's in the humility that you have. Uh, it's clear that you're not. And, and of course, we all want to continue to grow and be more successful. And, and we have our own needs that we're trying to meet. Um, but you, I really have the sense that you're wanting to make a contribution for your family, for your community, um, the stuff that you're doing at UT Austin. I mean, it's just it, it's very apparent that you want to make an right. impact more than just make the next trophy on the wall. When did you get to that point? It was, was there a moment that was a defining moment or has this just been kind of a, an evolution? Was it a season? I've, always, I've always instinctually, and that's what's in the book. The book is full of stuff that I comes to me at two in the morning. It's what I do. It's, what, it's how my mind works when I'm, my mind can do whatever it wants. Um, it's not, stuff from a classroom. It's not stuff I went to study. It's not a film set that I said, oh, now I'm going to do this thing. It's how I try to see my engagement and relationship with the world around me with people, successful relationships, successful relationships with my past, successful relationships with our future, or successful relationships with people, businesses, goals. Um, and I've just been trying to find, write down things, uh, hopefully sharing the book that are, there's, a, there's, I believe there's a science to satisfaction. I don't think we can ever find the answer. And that's the point. Um, look, I want to impact. I believe in people. I want to, I, I, I don't know how to make a collective change. 
And it relaxes the heck out of me to go, okay, you don't have to know how to make collective mm. change. Oh, thank goodness. Whew. But, boy, I believe in the power of the, the human spirit and mind and heart. And I believe that I can have a hand in helping us understand this, that the real music of life is that selfish and selfless are not contradictions. Responsibility and freedom are not butting heads. Mm -hmm. Doing for someone else today pays us selfishly back tomorrow. Doing for ourselves now can be what's best for the most amount of the other most amount of people. Yeah. Those two are not making right. money for profit does not mean you can't do good. You can't make good change. You can fill a soul's account and a bank account at the same time. Oh, I like that. Now we're gonna fill I can see, you know, we can we can preach about filling the soul's account, but in today's world. Until you're filling that bank account, everyone's just going to go, yeah, yeah, great idea. Love it. Yeah. Bye. You, know, you better fill the damn bank account. So let's own up to that yeah. and not make those two a contradiction and go, okay. I so, think it's one of the coolest things business owners can do. I mean, if if you have a purpose and you want to make an impact in the world and you realize, oh, it takes resources to advance that purpose. It takes troops on the ground. Who's going to feed those troops? How do we get the troops to the point of need? Oh, well, we have to have a business and we have to have a profit and we have to use that for the greater good. You know, it's uh, it's it's a bad stigma that's gotten out there that somehow capitalism is greedy. The stuff that makes the headlines is the stories right. where it, capitalism was abused and it was greedy, right? But right. so many right. small business owners, men and women listen to this podcast, they've got hearts of gold and, and they're right. investing so much of their profit back into the business to provide more jobs or into the community that they're serving and helping. And, and I really think they are a key to healing this country and getting us back on track. I, I, I hear you. I mean, I would say, and, and I've got very smart people that say, I I'm not, don't necessarily agree with you, but I'll, I'll throw it out there anyway, because again, this may be one of those ideas I still need to add on to, uh, to, to, to have more people agree with it. But what's this year shown us? No trust in leadership. What do we believe in? We thought the people at the top, we hoped, kind of relied past we thought they knew what they were talking about. I never in my life have felt more like, oh my gosh, on certain subjects at certain times this year, I feel like I'm on the front line of the knowledge. Mm. <laughs> Because I was talking to the right people and, and thinking like, oh, well, everyone must know this. And sharing things, people going, oh, I had no idea. I'm going, you didn't? And then finding out that certain people that I trusted in, like, well, obviously they know. They were going, they didn't know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. How did I get this information? By not in my limited access that was reliable in a year where people that we look forward to that are in much more leadership positions than I'm in didn't have reliable information. I was like confounded this year, but we kind of sobered up. Yeah. So in that sense, I believe right now the private sector has more actually, in a way, power and leverage than ever before. Because there's more talk about breaking out of that mold we were talking yeah. about and going your own way and less of the construct of government to no, you can't. 
They've already defined those walls aren't even clear. Those boundaries are not, those fences are broken down. You know what I mean? There's escape routes out of this, out of the, out of the lane. They're telling us to stay in all over the place now. And it's a great time to take advantage of those for them. People to sit back and go, well, the individual sector, the private mm-hmm. sector, the small business is showing us the way. Right. More of these are individually coming out. And this is making a collective change because more of them have broken out of the pasture. Well, there's two different, we actually don't disagree. We're, we're talking about two different geographies. I mean, if you're talking about the top of our country and leadership in our country, yeah, train wreck. But if you're talking about the top of an organization, I'm thinking this guy, Arlen, who's got a team of uh, 60 people in Kansas and they manufacture steel buildings. Mm-hmm. And this guy, he's got a heart of gold. He does birthday parties for his team, barbecues for his team. He's doing outreach things in the community. Uh, recently, a team member was on sick leave and they had to be out of work for multiple months. And he just wrote a check for his mortgage and took care of him. It's, it's people like Arlen who you're never going to hear about on Fox News or CNN that really right. are the glue and holding this thing together. And that's leadership. That's leadership in the trenches. It's leadership that's yeah. very low profile in the national scene, yeah. but it's actually the leadership that's causing our country to work. Heard. And hopefully it's the kind of leadership that can hold us together right now where we're where the bull's bucking harder than it's bucked in a long time. And if all these leadership that can keep us on that bull to get our eight seconds. Um, I, you know, I mean, there's opportunity at least now for not that the Arlen's will be put to the forefront and become the on the news known leaders. But look, leaders and politicians are having to redefine and redeclare what the hell it is their own purpose is now more than ever. So we want to talk about the old proverbial drain the swamp well this year it really got is really getting drained um we're seeing incapacity in all over places we just saw something the other day congress that you're like what didn't even think that was that was imaginable that that could happen um so yes we can then go oh now i distrust sort certain what i thought was a standard of of security and, and 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 purpose by politics. Well, no, that's it's clear. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because Arlen can't fix Congress, but there's things right. that Arlen and the several hundred thousand brothers and sisters he has who are listening to this right now that they can do this year. What would you encourage them with? What would you say, hey, double down on these things. You matter. You're making a difference. What do you see for them? And uh, what, what do you know that they need to hear from the guy who's uh, uh, doing the same thing and who's going for it and who's not settling in? Well. Hopefully, look, hopefully I'm talking to and you people, people listening are those non-tyrants that believe they can succeed for themselves and help and help other people succeed as well. There's, there's room for everybody to win blue ribbons. It's just a bunch of different. We have to. It's not the same ribbon. It's not the same race we're all going for. So if those people are, you know. Good hearted. Yeah, there could be difference. I'm not one of these guys that say, hey, everyone needs to be the same. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm for if it's if you're if you're responsible, <laughs> I'm for I'm for celebrating all the differences. Um, but know now that you have more of a chance to lead the 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 people policing you, the boundaries, the barriers from you going your own way, they're busy tending to other stuff right now. <laughs> Now's a great time to break out of the break out of the corral and run, man. Go. 
and just own it. Do not ask permission because actually if you ask permission now, you might find out no one's on the other end of the line. Mm. You know, they're going to go, wait, I'm busy. Wait, you go, I, don't, I got other stuff I'm trying to deal with here. Go do your thing. Yeah. Go down. Yeah. The, 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 the pasture has been broken out. You've got a way out. Run. Um, let them look up later. And when it's too late to, for them to say, no, I'd rather you not do that. No, that's out of your zone. No, that's too big. Don't be too big for your britches. They'll let, let them look up later when you go, sorry, why you weren't looking. I, I was doing my deal, man. Yeah. Too bad. You got you up. Well, and it's like, if you're doing that with the right heart and you're adding value, I mean, who's, who's going to say, hey, you got to shut this down because look all the people you've helped. And you're talking about blue ribbons. Have you heard the metaphor of cake versus candles on opportunity? Like if you've got the mindset that opportunity is like a piece of cake, then for my piece of cake to get bigger, yours necessarily has to get smaller, right? right. It, it's, it's a fixed, it's a yeah. you know, zero-sum game. If it's like candles and we're in a dark room and I, I got a candle that needs to be lit and yours is lit and you light my candle, the room just got a little bit lighter and both our candles are lit. And the more people right. that we can light their candles collectively, the, the room gets lighter for everybody. And I, I think uh, it's yeah. a mindset. It's how you look at opportunity. If if it's cake, you're screwed, man. But if it's candles, I mean that's that's really what this country was built on. That's how our economy works. And we just got to get people to realize. And I think not only realize, and again, let's talk about this. Which comes first? Realizing that that fills your bank account as well, or and ways that it actually does. Mm-hmm. What do we What do we value? What is look, we got an America that says. You want to succeed? You want to be called a success? You want respect? Get rich and famous, boy. That's top two. Well, now, wait a minute. And I'm speaking as a guy who is both of those. But wait a minute. That's the top two values we're teaching, saying this is how you get a seat at the table. Mm. This is how you get to the front of the line. There's a lot of uh, uh, burn bridges and irresponsibility that you can get from being rich and famous that we still reward because we're so enamored and impressed with rich and famous. Because well, I'm talking about integrity or how you did it. Jeez, you yeah. just did it. You pulled it off. You scammed them. You lied, cheated, and stole to get here. Way to go, man. Now, come on. Come on. No, I don't really want to sit next to you at the table, sir. I'm not that impressed with what America's told me to be impressed with. Oh, what? wait, 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 more toys, uh, retail therapy, one with the most toys wins. Oh, great. Well, now come on. That's, 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 that's preschool stuff. So what, but that, Lord, this is a really big deal because there, there are a lot of people who are not rich and famous that would, that would say those things. It's, it's easy when you're not rich and famous to say, well, you don't need to be rich and famous. You need to do this other stuff as someone who is both. If you could rewrite the prescription based yeah. on what you've seen, what would be those virtues you would say, this is what success really should look like? Um, we have to watch selling our soul along the way. I've done it. It ultimately sucked, and I couldn't sleep at night and felt gross. Mm. Um, I can also say, and I, don't, and, and I think I, I can honestly say this, when I've been my true self, the best I could be, the most responsible, yet also freedom-loving man who didn't never, I don't, it doesn't feel, I never liked winning at someone else's expense. I've never really felt like, I've never just been one of those people that's like, 
we have so many today, which is I feel better if I make you feel worse. I win if I make you, if I defeat you. It's back to your candle thing. Those two are not, that's a kind that's not long-term gratification. Mm-hmm. That's not true success. Um, that's looking at the competition of humanity the wrong, the wrong way. That's looking at the competition, I would say, of capitalism the wrong way. But it's fait accompli for a lot of people. I mean, I'll get away with what I can get away with by yeah. a hook or by a car. I don't give a dick what I leave in the wasteland. Well, even if you're not a believer, that's going to come back to bite you in the butt in this life. Right. That's right. And a believer would say, oh, that's going to come back to get you later. But it, it, it doesn't have long-term ROI. Yeah, no doubt. It doesn't have real residuals. Well, and it doesn't, it doesn't help other people, which ultimately doesn't help you. And you don't feel good about any of that at the end of the no, day. No, and so. you're not kidding. You know, 30% of Americans trust their neighbors right now. Mm. That's a tragedy. That's 30%. Really? Trust who's over there on the other side of the fence yeah. or the other wall. And hey, I'm all for walls on the side to separate neighbors. But also make a good neighbor. I'm for, I'm for, I get that. But to not trust your neighbor, to not, 30%? Whoa, mm. hang on a minute. Now then, let's go back to this, the reciprocity of how much does that mean we don't trust ourselves? Yeah. Those two reciprocate. But I, I mean, look, going, yeah, going forward, I mean, I've taken, I got a good work ethic. I got instilled that, I got a work ethic instilled in me. I got, um, I would say, if I could tell myself at 15 years old, what advice would I want to give myself? I'd tell myself to do more of what I just found out by writing the book. I actually did a lot of, which is take risk. Yeah. Take the right risk. And don't be afraid of the failure. The failure of things today, we think that the world's going to go nana nana boo boo. And the world will go nana nana boo boo. But guess what? Those nana nana boo boos are on the sidelines yelling nana nana boo boo <laughs> for the sideliners. Good. Okay. The people in the game, we sit there and you think the ones that you're going to be most embarrassed about failing in front of are the, the ones that matter are like going, yeah, shot man yeah. here. Garner's respect. That's how Guess it works. What? I fell down yesterday and I fell down yeah. the day before and I had this. There we go. I've said this before. I've gotten success, some successes in my life because I failed and got up and failed and got up and failed and got up. And I got the job over the guy who succeeded and won the race in the first place mm. because the person, the power that be said, wait a minute. No, I saw the horse that won the thing. But this horse here, this McConaughey kid, the one that keeps losing, but keeps entering the race again. I want Charlie Hustle here. So I know I've gotten some things just by being Charlie Hustle and then, you know, learn to work on maybe what I was good at and become better at my craft. Because uh, it's obviously more than just hustle. You got to try to we want to be good at something. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've, I've not at someone else's expense. I don't, I don't have anywhere in the world that I need, that I go where I got to look over my shoulder by somebody that I lied, cheat and stole from, or I did wrong, or I pulled off a deal where I got to be in anywhere in the world where I got to look over my shoulder and go, Oh, I hope, I hope he's not here. <sighs> um, and maybe that's part of what, you know, I don't stress that much about um that some people tell me they they do i don't i don't know um well it's apparent in your spirit i love your heart this has been 
a blast. Uh, the book is a lot of fun. I encourage people to do the Audible because they can hear your fantastic voice. Um, but also, if you have not seen the physical book, full of lots of cool pictures and anecdotes and doodles and things like that, it's not just your typical words on a page book, lots of photos, really, really good stuff. Matthew McConaughey, the book is Green Lights. I hope you write more. You mentioned doing that. And if you do, we'd love to have you back on and talk about it. I'd love to. and hope, hope I hope to write something first and then, yeah, definitely come back. I enjoyed it. Could have gone for even longer. All right. Well, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for what you do, brother. We really appreciate it. I do too. All right now. All right, guys. Big fun to have Matthew McConaughey on the Entree Leadership Podcast. I don't know about you, but here's a guy who very easily could justify saying, hey, I've made it. I'm going offline or I'm just going to do movies. I love that he's getting out and he's making new things and he's helping more people. So for me, I'm a little bit convicted. I've accomplished a lot of things. I could justify hitting cruise control a little bit. Nobody would ever know. Just like Matthew McConaughey, nobody would ever know. Nobody would ever doubt him. But there's something in him. He said, it was a challenge to myself. And what I heard in that, and the note I made is, I have to be able to take myself seriously. It's not about impressing other people. It's not about achieving a level of success that outwardly people give you an applause and you can say, I'm going to settle in on that. I'm going to sit on my laurels. Because when you do that, you don't, Respect yourself. You can't take yourself seriously. And ultimately, as we talked about in the end of the conversation, it comes back to what contribution are we making? How much value can I produce in the world with my team, with my business, with my community? Guys, you're only here for a certain amount of time. What do you want to do with it? What is your legacy? When you think about the end of your life and you say, this is what I did, yeah, money will be nice, but it's not going to be what you're talking about on your deathbed. You're going to be thinking about the stories of the lives that you impacted, the people, the relationships, what you built, who you served, and where you added value. So gut check. Where are you adding value right now? Are you doing it? Do you need to level up a little bit? Do you need to shake off last year and go, hey, new day, new game, back in the hunt? It's time to do it. You can solve these problems. You can heal our country, not collectively, but individually, as business leaders, you are the solution. And to do that, you got to build a team. You guys know building a great team, it's not that easy, but it can be done if you're intentional. And intentionality starts in the hiring process. You guys have heard us preach that at Ramsey Solutions, we are maniacal. We are extremely picky. We are very intentional to hire the right people for the job. Because when you do, it solves a lot of problems later that really never have to come up if you get the right person to start with. In fact, we're so obsessive about this, we have 12 exhaustive steps to our hiring process. And people ask all the time, what are the 12 steps? Well, we're gonna make it easy for you. We're gonna give them to you absolutely free so that you can use this in your hiring process. It's the Entree Leader's Guide to Hiring. Just click on the link in the show notes. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entree Leadership Podcast. As always, if you know somebody that would also enjoy this episode, send it to them. Thank you for sharing this episode and all the other episodes. You're the reason this podcast grows. Of course, you can watch Entree Leadership Podcast on YouTube, highlights and full segments. Check us out over there. And look, if you're a small business owner between about two and 200 team members, we'd like to have a live conversation with you. Get some feedback on how we can improve the show and ask you a few questions. If you want to help us out with that, just click on the link in the show notes, fill out a brief survey, and you can set up a call with our producer, Tim. You can follow us on social media at Entree Leadership. You can also follow me on Instagram at Daniel Tardy. 
This episode was produced by Tim Hull. It was edited and mixed by Will Rudder. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy, and on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep learning and keep leading. If you enjoy this podcast, you should check out other great podcasts from the Ramsey Network, like The Rachel Cruz Show. Hey guys, it's Rachel Cruz, and I'm so excited to tell you about my podcast. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck, they're in debt, they don't even know where to begin, but they have this need, this want to get in control of their money. And if that's you, you have come to the right spot. So in each episode, you're going to get a ton of inspiration and practical advice. If you've not subscribed to the Rachel Cruz Show podcast, make sure you do it today. To hear full episodes, just search Rachel Cruz wherever you listen to podcasts or go to RamseySolutions.com slash shows.